0: Well, every night I go out running or riding my bike I like the sweat, I like the flow I get I like the feeling of the night air hitting my lungs I like the feeling of rain while sticking out my tongue Sometimes I like to pretend I'm on a secret mission Sometimes I'm just making sure it's not something out there happening That I'm missing and I swear to you I get a real high from it fuck alcohol and fuck all that shit and fuck tv let's meet up with our bikes down by the old train bridge i'll race you downtown and i'll show you what you missed from inside and let's live our lives tonight let's ride our bikes into the
1: Alright, we got this. Uh, Hello folks, welcome to the Garrett Shalke Podcast. I am your boy, your host, your podcast god, Garrett Schalke. And uh, today we uh, have a special guest online. Not not online, via phone. Straight from uh, Toledo, Ohio. He is a poet, writer, union worker host of the Blue Collar Gospel Hour, founder of Not A Duck In Any Row Studios, and most recently, he has had his latest work, a novel titled $100 A Week Motel, published through Punk Hostage Press, which will be the main thing we're talking about today. Uh, Folks, let's uh, give it up for Dan Denton. Hey, thanks for having me, Garrett. Yep, Dan, uh, great to have you on this evening. Uh, as I said, I'm recording from my room here in, uh, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and you're recording from your very own studio in, uh, Toledo, Ohio. You got a name for it?
2: Yeah, the, uh, Not A Duck and Any Row studio that I built in my basement, DIY style, when they, uh, put us on house arrest due to COVID.
1: Yeah, and, uh, I remember when we were setting this up two weeks ago, I guess you asked, uh, yeah, when I come to you or you want to come to me, I'm like, yeah, the roads are pretty shitty. We should probably just do this over phone. But uh, if you've seen the weather in the past week, boy, howdy, what change?
2: Yeah, we had, uh, it was like a third or fifth most snow in one day in Toledo history in like the last 120 years or something. Like 12.4 inches. And then one week later, it's 50 degrees every day.
1: Yep, and, uh, I guess this week, too, especially in Chicago, which I, uh, just got back from, supposed to be, like, the 60s this week, plus rain. Mm Mm-hmm. It's going to be in the 60s
2: here, but then, uh, we're actually going to Orlando next week. It's going to be in the 80s. I'm
1: looking forward to that. Yeah, uh, thank you, Comrade Climate Change, for, uh, It's the only thing around here that'll, uh, actually clear up my roads, since, uh, God knows the city of Grand Rapids ain't gonna plow that shit. <laughs> yeah,
2: sometimes, sometimes the, uh, the negative things do work in our favor, like climate change now and again. Yeah, I,
1: that yeah.
2: 67 degree day in January now and again, you know?
1: Yeah, you know, enjoy the little things before the climate apocalypse, pretty much. Well, I figure
2: if, if we, if, if we reach the you know the midnight on the nuclear clock, once we hit that, we might as well make a picnic and enjoy the afterglow, you know, before it's all over,
1: you know. Oh yeah, totally. Just uh, so, accept, just accept that it's going to be a worldwide Chernobyl. Yeah. So once
2: once you like accept that fact, I feel like there's freedom to do just about anything else, you
1: know. <laughs> all right. All right, uh, Mr. Denton. Uh, it's been some time since we've uh, talked. How's it going, dude?
2: Oh, it's been uh, pretty good. Uh, I think when we last talked, I was just talking to my publisher about the uh, $100 a week motel. I think I had just sent her like a two-thirds manuscript. And she was like waiting for the rest and I was like hurrying to try to get it. Well, not really hurrying, but you know how it goes. You're a writer. You know how it goes,
3: Gary. Don't I ever. So I did, uh, I got it finished and then we
1: started the editing process and well, now I'm a published author, you know. Yeah, and uh, is this is this your uh, first published novel?
2: Yes, it's my first published novel. Uh, my first, I guess they call them Perfect Bound Books. Previous to this, I've only had, like, staple chapbooks of poetry, you know, published. Uh, and, like, short stories and stuff in magazines, you know. Uh,
1: chapbooks, zines, that kind of thing?
2: Yeah. <laughs> so, that was kind of cool to, you know, finally... It was awesome. Honestly, it's the first novel I ever finished. Like, full Bank Manuscript. I've, st- I've tried to start a bunch, but I never finished it, you know?
1: Yeah. How about uh, we dive right into that, then? Okay. Yep. Your very first published novel, $100 a Week Motel. Uh, can you tell us what it's about?
2: Uh, sure. It's uh, about living in a cheap motel and working in a shitty factory, man, which is it is semi-autobiographical in the fact that I lived in several shitty cheap hotels and worked in shitty factories. But I was a kind of a younger alcoholic, you know.
1: Alright, and uh, what uh, made you want to write the
2: book? Um, I don't know that I did want to write it. So how I kind of got started is weird. Is, I didn't intend to write a book like this. I One day well you know since the pandemic it's been all go to work in the factory and come home afterwards and that's it because you know COVID-19 is bad you know so a lot of times you know because of COVID the good thing is like I said the good thing with climate change you get a warm day once in a while the good thing with COVID is I have a lot more time to like be alone at home and work on my stuff you know so I just one day I couldn't write for a couple days and I just started like I was thinking about one of the motel rooms I lived in once in Ebenham, Illinois. It had like this like real faded like burgundy door. So I gave myself a project. I was just going to write and describe that door. Mm-hmm. Like I, it's like a writing gripe you, like prompt, you know. So I wrote the first chapter to that book, and then I forgot about it. And that's kind of how I got started. And then one day, I was like reading through, like, I couldn't write again, and I'm reading through some things that I had started on, looking for something to work on, you know, and I saw that, and then I wrote the second chapter, and I, and I what had happened was, I just saw a news story that reminded me of some people i lived next door in a motel once, this couple, that were kind of like a crack dealer pimp and, like, his girlfriend, and I lived next door to people that were similar to the ones I read this news story, and that that, that was the second chapter of
3: this book, and then I had something going, you know? Hmm?
2: So that's... I guess that's how you write books, or at least that's how that one happened. <laughs> you, <laughs> you, you've got a couple of them. Is that, how do yours kind of start, Gary
1: Oh, boy. Uh, well, let, let me think for a quick sec here. Uh, well, I guess I kind of... Uh, I kind of put them into three categories. There's uh, literary fiction... Which was uh, Anamaki and a uh, Jamboree for the most part. Then, uh. uh the, yep, that's actually uh, how you and I met, Mr. Denton, at uh, Michigan City, Indiana, at. Uh, uh, God damn it, Michelle's gonna kill me. What was he the. Still makes, killed, uh, yeah, what's the uh, festival called that we were at?
2: Uh. Creative with that No. <laughs> underground live fest jeez
1: out. yeah hey by the way michelle Mcdonald is uh
2: just to tell you i'm sorry Garrett, but michelle McDonald is the one that introduced me to iris Berry, my publisher at punk hostage
1: press uh yeah we'll uh we'll get to that in a sec yeah. but uh that's actually how you and i met first it was online somehow and then uh we met in person there and uh you're gracious enough to buy my uh First short story collection, up Chambari.
2: Yeah, we kind of spent uh, an afternoon, like an hour, one afternoon out front.
1: Yeah, and I, I smoked cigarettes, and I think we're both kind of like
2: we have similar life uh, philosophies, I guess you'd say, and we're both kind of a little bit socially awkward enough that we kind of get along. I don't yeah, know. <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: yeah, I would say <laughs> that's pretty accurate. You,
2: but if you listen to both of our podcasts.
1: Yeah, I would say it's pretty accurate, and uh, we both read poetry at the two poetry readings there.
2: Yep, I sure did.
1: Yep. So yeah, anyway, but, anyway, by the way, your
2: your book has one of the things that I, and I it's been maybe two years since I've read it, and I just got your other uh, your new book you sent. We traded, but I haven't read it yet. But what I appreciate about Jamboree uh, was that. The characters, like how interesting the characters are in that book,
1: by the way. Uh, thank you, and, uh, I got your book as well, uh, thank you for that. And, uh, I, real, I realized that afterwards, because I, uh, mailed my book to you before I picked up your book from my P.O. Box, yeah, I, uh, forgot to sign it. I, uh, sorry about that, I'll, uh, do it next time we meet.
2: You forgot the what?
1: I forgot to sign it.
2: Ah, uh, asshole.
1: Yeah, I know. I fucking suck.
2: Well, let me ask you a question real quick, completely off-topic, that I've been thinking about. Sure. Because I know you've experienced this, because you signed uh, your first book I bought from you. Uh, how many times do you think people have asked you to sign a book or something, you think?
1: Hmm. Uh let, let me see. I'm trying to actually think as far back as my fir- first poetry chapbook. Uh, uh, let's see. Is it's less than ten? I know that. Um,
2: Does it kind of feel awkward to you a little bit to, to write your name in books?
1: Oh no, actually it isn't. Uh, it's actually uh, quite uh, quite fantastic. Actually, I feel really good about it. It makes me feel like a real ri- a real writer. You could say.
2: Yeah, yeah, a little bit, but it kind of makes me so. I don't know, one day afterwards, so this is my first book, you know, like, I had the chat book, and, you know, like, people would buy it from me at a reading, and I'd sign it, but, uh, like, I've been sending books out, like, your book, trading books with other writers, and, like, people buy it from me, so I'll ship them a book, and, like, I always sign it, but I always don't know if they want me to or not, kind of, I don't know if that's, <laughs> that makes me feel a little weird a little, I guess.
1: Uh, actually, it was a little bit when, uh, Back when I was a teenager, I was writing for my school newspaper. That was a little bit odd. You know, people come up saying, Hey, Gary, I like that article or whatever. But now yeah. now I like to take it in. You know, I'm like Oscar Wilde in a way. I love the adoration. Yeah. It, uh,
2: it is kind of cool. Like, the people come up to me at work now that I bought my book. And they'll tell me about one of the characters in my book like they're a real person. And that's kind of how I feel like, okay, maybe I am a writer. You know
1: Uh, what I mean? Okay, okay. Uh, I can put a amend there. You see, I like it when uh, people I know, like, say online or at book festivals or whatever. Yeah, I like it when they they compliment me or ask for my autograph or that. But uh, at work... Uh, uh, no, not a big fan of people bringing up my writing there. Cause well, I'm, I it does make me feel a little awkward being in a union store,
2: because uh, if you read $100 a Week Motel, it is very, uh, graphic. If you made an accurate movie about it, which someday I hope somebody does, um, <laughs> I, uh it would be NC-17, I think, you know?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, same, same thing with mine, it's, it's not... <laughs> And it's not really because I'm writing that book per se. It's more so because I'm, uh, afraid someone I'm, say, beefing with will, uh, go report that, uh, or exaggerate or whatever and get me in trouble for it.
2: Yeah, that, uh, well, you know.
1: Uh, but, I guess...
2: I'm having a podcast, too. i worry about that a little bit,
1: too. Yeah, yeah, same here, and be honest, there is still, like, a little worry, but... For the most part, it's just like, ah, oh, fuck it, you know. Yeah,
2: everybody, I mean, most people kind of have read my poetry enough to kind of know me, you know, enough that, you know, at some level they've accepted that I'm a little weird and that, uh, you know, I'm a writer and that's kind of cool, I guess, a little bit, I don't know.
1: Well, I guess, I guess for me too, uh, first of all, I've been at my job for eight years now, you know, woohoo. So been, yeah, about so, seven and a half, so about the same length. Yeah, so I got some seniority there. And, uh, two, it's one of those things where, like, I worry about for a bit, but then after a while it just burns out of me. That it's like, you know what, fuck it. Yeah. And I kind of am at the point at my quote-unquote career at The Warehouse, and that's another thing if, to all my dedicated listeners, is that, uh, I do not name where I work, I just say The Warehouse, since, uh... And same with me. Yeah, because cause that's... I'm all, that, automata- automotive factory. Because uh, as as, that's one thing I've learned through like arguing and trolling online and that. Is that uh, a lot of people tend to get in trouble because uh, they let the world know where they work. Yes. And they proudly display it. But then when they do something hateful or stupid, they uh, get in trouble or shit can for it. Yeah. So it's like... Okay, well, just don't mention the name, just don't put anything online about what my day job is, and we're good to man, go. I,
2: uh, I'm a little opposite, like, even my autobiography, not autobiography, my author photo, on the back of the book, I'm wearing a shirt that is from the place I
1: work. <laughs> so, I mean, hint, hint, wink.
2: Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is what it is, man. Uh,
1: you know? Well, I mean, I...
2: Mean, I've, at some level, the digital age people can find
1: information enough and i I guess i don't know well yeah i mean i've (laughs) i've talked about my job i've given out hints i mean Mm -hmm. you don't have to be batman the world's greatest detective to figure out where i work but uh hey by
2: the way what who we sponsored by today
1: oh sponsored by (laughs) oh man uh wow i'm not really prepared for this joke since uh Usually, uh, usually it's Drake's Party Store in Kalamazoo, Michigan, but uh, that's a good one. but that's a, good, that's a good sponsor. Oh yeah, I'm God. I'm waiting for the day that someone informs them that I've been jokingly telling them they're my sponsors. Uh, I've, I've been sending uh, random emails to Red Bull. Oh really? See if they'll sponsor my studio and lounge that I'm building
2: because. Uh, only because I drink a lot of sugar-free Red Bull, hmm. and that would be cool. With, like, all they gotta do is give me a free Red Bull, Garrett, and I'll and i like sponsor. Like they can like sponsor all my stuff, you know. Not asking for much.
1: Oh, that's nice. Uh, <laughs> I okay. Haven't
2: responded to any of my emails yet. Just in case you're wondering.
1: Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know who that reminds me of? Who? Insane Clown Posse. They've been <laughs> uh. I guess for years they've been trying to get Fago to sponsor them. Yeah. But Fago just will not touch them. I feel like
2: that's the same thing as me. Like, it just makes sense, Garrett. I have a factory audience, and we're probably like one-third of Red Bull's, like, product. And, like, you know, we use their product a lot, you know?
1: Oh, hmm. uh, I, I know a sponsor. Okay. Um, Today's sponsor is, uh, Various Chemicals. Yes, that's right. Various Chemicals, uh. Are you a creative type? Are you uh, trying to get the words down or the music out and you just don't know how to do it? You know, it's just blocked up? Well, then, uh, take some chemicals, you know, a.k.a. (coughs) on trucks. You know, that will help the process. And now, back to the program. (laughs) Hey,
2: I really admire... The success you've had at getting these high-level sponsors,
1: man. Yeah, I know it's been very good. I'm uh, looking forward to some uh, big-time corporate soon. Uh, I'm thinking about getting a uh, Raytheon to sponsor me.
2: <laughs> and let me ask you an honest question.
1: Sure. If somebody offered you like a
2: three million dollars sponsorship, would you sell out for the corporate world
3: for that? <sighs> Oof. I don't know if
2: out, but would you, like, take the sponsorship?
1: That is a lot of money, and, uh... I'd like if it was Walmart. Uh, actually, for that price, yeah, sure. I mean... I think I would, too, man. I like... I mean, <laughs> Walmart. I I could do whatever I wanted afterwards, I know? mean, the, the Raytheon one I just mentioned is what, uh... One of my favorite podcasts called Behind the Bastards with, uh, Robert Evans... He always jokes about how they're sponsoring him, even though they're war criminals that make weapons. <laughs> you see, but Walmart, as evil as it is, as um, far as I know, they're not uh, making shit that kills brown children in the Middle East. So, I could justify it. Oh, yeah.
3: But, they're like, you know, they're a large employer. And
1: yeah, sure. But if it was something else like, yeah, hey, Mr. Schalke, uh, the mercenary outfit Blackwater wants to sponsor this <laughs> podcast. Like, oh nope, nope. Oh, what's that? Three okay, trillion? Three trillion? Uh, n- no, not worth it. <laughs> well,
2: some of those you might
1: you might wind up dead if you don't comply. Okay. Well. Okay. Well, let's get back to that question there. Um. <laughs> okay. So I have my three processes: uh, literary, genre, and poetry. Uh. Honestly, literary and genre writing really doesn't, uh, differentiate for me all that much. I still, uh, outline, I still brainstorm. I would say, though, that genre, i.e., like Godin, superhero, pulp fiction kind of stuff, is a lot easier than literary because, uh, I mean, I take both of them seriously, but I just feel more freer because, uh, I'm essentially writing about a, uh, Gutterpunk superhero with wolf powers that beats shit up.
3: Uh-huh. You
1: know, that's a lot different than uh, say writing a Floyd Spicer story where he's uh going through a depressive episode. Uh-huh. And for poetry, uh, yeah, that's just straight up Kerouacian, you know, spontaneous on the go writing. I At least on the first draft. I then do editing and whatnot, but it's not like I plot it out or anything. Mm -hmm. Which is probably how poetry should be in the first place. Rather than prose. I like, I like, at least the
2: poetry that I like has a lot of heart to it, you know, a lot of feel. Oh. Oh, yeah, like, I don't think,
1: like, it's pretty much like, oh, I have an idea for a poem, so I'm gonna go sit down and write it out. Like, no, that's, no, like, I don't think when Bukowski wrote Bluebird, he, like, wrote out a point-by-point thing of what he wanted to include in the poem. Yeah,
2: there's not a lot of outlining to poetry, I don't think. I hope not. At least not to me, it's not. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. You know,
2: although I do, I do sometimes write specific projects, like, like, right now I'm working on a project. So my next, uh, book, by the way, is almost done. Oh. A manuscript.
3: Oh, nice. But uh, I'm working on
2: part of that, at the end of that manuscript, I hopefully include a project called Prayers to My Saints. And it's like poems of my dead heroes, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to round that, like, chat book series off with some uh, new, quote-unquote, people, you know, heroes that have passed away recently to build that manuscript out. So right now, I'm, like, researching. Like, I don't do this with poetry often. But in this case, I'm actually researching these topics. Like I'm, so I've been reading a lot about Jackie Robinson because I want to write a poem to Jackie Robinson, you know? Oh, well. So I'm actually specifically researching for poetry. I don't do that very
1: often. Oh, that's that's fine, dude, really. Um, so another thing I've learned throughout all my years with uh, writing, especially look at other authors, and specifically if they talk about their process or they say what they think other writers should do, you really got to take what works best for you and then go with it.
2: Yeah, and um, I feel like sometimes you got to try different
1: ways, too. Yeah, I mean, I remember way back in high school for I like was even close to writing poetry or fiction. I think I read something about like Stephen King saying some shit like if you don't write this many words per week or read this many or and no, sorry, if you don't write this many words per week, and don't read this many books per week, you will never be a good writer. Which, uh, first of all, this is Stephen King saying that, and uh, I acknowledge his greatness, but, yes. yeah, yeah. when it comes to prose masters, <laughs> not highly up there. And two, uh, that works for Stephen King because uh, he's a writeaholic, like Kerouac-level fast when it comes to writing. Yeah. Whereas whereas myself I uh, work at a warehouse and I'm generally a slow writer. Mm -hmm. So it's like okay um, okay I really can't make this work like I can Stephen King like Stephen King does because everything about us is completely different. Mm -hmm. So this writing advice is completely useless to me.
2: Yeah well and that's I feel like I'm the same way. I'm more somewhere to you than Lee Stephen King. And and to be clear, I have friends that are authors, and they sit down every day at 8 o'clock in the morning and write a certain amount of words every day. Nice. And And that works for them, and I even am jealous a little bit of that discipline. But I'm more of a, so this is my rule for being a writer, Gary. I have to work at my writing every day. That's my only rule. And that might mean that maybe I just work on editing one stanza of one poem today because that's all I had time to get to today. And I got to accept that that's all I got, you know, because I'm a father and, a, and a, I work 60 hours a week in a factory, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm in the same boat there.
2: So as long as I at least work at it a little bit every day, somehow it always works, you know, I guess. And that's like, I don't know, that's my only rule, you know? Yeah.
1: All right. So, uh, <laughs> uh, we already went out, went off there. Uh, God damn it. <laughs> Hey, it's a great thing about podcasts and you can ramble on and people will listen. I know. I, 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 I do anyway. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, okay. We talked about, uh, what made you want to write, write the book, the writing process and, uh, how it started. Uh, how long overall did it take for you to write a hundred dollar a week motel?
2: So once I started working on it, once I got an idea that this might be a book or that I had something going, it was probably about two and a half months, maybe. Mm-hmm. And that was pretty much working at it every evening, every day, like trying to work, like write or edit every day on it, you know. And I didn't, one of the things that worked for me was I would come home every day from work and I would like reread the last chapter and like, edit it a little bit,
1: and just doing that would get, like, the next chapter going, kind of. So about two and a half months. All right. Okay, uh, so we talked about that. Let's uh, talk about the publisher, Punk Hostage Press, which, uh-huh. if I remember correctly, is uh, is an indie publisher right out of California, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, how did you uh, hook up with them?
2: So, Punk Conscious Press, by the way, they have been so good to me. Um, their publishers, Iris Berry and A. Razor, are both artists and writers, you know. So the press is ran by people like us, which is cool to work with them, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Punk Conscious Press, Iris Berry. I was, uh, I just built my studio. And this is kind of like the magic of it, really. I built my studio. And I had bought a program for my Mac computer called Create Booklet because I wanted to learn how to make, like, staple chat books, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so just to practice, I made my own chat book for my poetry called uh, Give Us This Day, Our Daily Grind, an ode to the uh, American factory worker. So I published, like, 12 of my own factory poems in a book and, like, sold them online to, like, buy some stuff from my studio, you know, and learn how to make books. Well... I ended up doing a Zoom reading because I was trying to learn how to do Zoom readings. And Michelle McDaniel invited Iris to come to that Zoom reading. And Iris heard me read poetry. And because of that, we started talking and I sent her that manuscript.
3: So,
2: they are in Hollywood, California, by the way, which is kind of cool. All
1: right. uh, You mentioned a few of them there. Uh, What people were uh, instrumental in getting this book published?
2: So, Iris Barry of course, and Michelle both did a lot of, ed- the ed- they did all of the editing work on it. Um, Michelle McDaniel wrote the introduction, uh, an incredible introduction to the book. Uh, S.A. Griffin, who is a co-editor of the Outlaw Bible of American Poetry, one of my favorite books of all time, uh, highly recommend if you're a writer and poet, you get that book.
1: Oh, wait, the American... The Outlaw Book of American Poetry, you said?
2: The Outlaw Bible
1: of American Poetry. Oh, funny, you should mention that, because uh, my bookshelf is right next to me, and yeah, there it is.
2: Yeah. Yep, I got uh, it. Uh, essay Griffin, the co-editor of one of my favorite books, uh, has been published by Punk Costume Press. Press. They asked him if he had do a blur report, because they knew I was kind of like a fan of his, and he liked the book enough that he agreed to write a foreword. Uh, an incredible forward to it. By the way, it starts out that $100 a week motel is a hallelujah chorus of proletariat madness. And that's just about the best review I could ever get, you know, as a writer. Right there, you know. Proletariat madness.
3: <laughs>
2: but, uh, so he wrote the forward to it. And then Iris uh, wrote an Editors Know, and uh, my friend's author, Michael Brover, author drew coomer my local artist friend automatic all agreed to write reviews and blurbs for it and uh scott Iker, a los angeles artist uh did the cover and the cover art inside cover art for it so we had a lot of cool people involved with the project It's kind of made i felt like it made that book a hundred dollar week motel it kind of turned it into like a piece of art kind of you know mm-hmm. so that was kind of neat
1: very nice uh, did you, uh, submit this book to any place else before Punk Hostage Press? No. Nope. Oh, I, uh... Wow, so, like, first, first suggestion it got published, right? Yeah. I don't, like, I, I feel really, really lucky. <laughs> Damn <laughs> right you're lucky. Literally, very literally, everything
2: I've ever had published, people heard me read and asked me to, like, ask if they could publish me.
1: Oh, very nice, i I got
2: really, really lucky that way. Um... And, of course, this is how this worked, too. And like I said, the second book is due out hopefully next year. By the way, Punk Hostage, they've been so good to me, Garrett, that they released my book, $100 a Week Motel, on their ninth anniversary, January 13th. Oh, really? And and co-founder, co-publisher, A-Razor, pulled his book publishing release date off one day, released his the next day, so I could be released on their anniversary. I thought that was really cool, man. Yeah,
1: that's that's some very good timing.
2: Yeah, so they've been really cool to me, which is why I've, I've been telling people, I've really encouraged people to buy it on Amazon or on Google or Barnes & Noble or our local independent bookstore in uh, Northwest Ohio, uh, www.gatheringvolumes.com. They have copies too. Uh, but it, I, I, I encourage people to buy it online because I get really good royalties.
1: Okay, that's one way to put it. Yeah, so you know, it's like
2: I I know Amazon's shitty, but it's like that's what we publish on, and you know, and I get royalties, you know, and it helps my publisher. So actually, I
1: actually I would have to look it up. I think it's maybe this week, but uh, I think they're uh, calling for a short digital boycott.
2: Yeah,
1: so buy it on www.gatheringvolumes.com. You can buy it online or in store. Yeah, don't yeah, don't buy Amazon right now because uh, they're trying to unionize yeah. and uh, and wow, uh, if you've if if you've read anything that Amazon's been doing to try to stop it. Oh yeah, <clears> yeah, they're 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 pretty much the fucking devil, but I mean, yeah, I mean what, there's what, no way around it. Yeah, but, what can you, what can you do? Well, I, I guess.
2: I've been Googling this for about $13,000. I can buy my own printing press, and I can print
1: 800-page book, uh, soft-bound books. <laughs> or you can do like I do and just uh go Lulu.
2: Yeah, well, I've been looking at a local union printer, print shop here. I've been pop- emailing with them. Like I showed them a book of poetry that was published on Amazon with the glue binding you know
3: Hmm? and they're working on giving me an estimate on what it would cost if i like
2: published a book like that and ordered 500 copies but i want to see the affordability of doing that and then shipping our own books you know oh okay until we get to that point you know
1: (laughs) yeah actually it's funny too because uh last week which by the way folks uh Dan and I were actually supposed to talk last Sunday, but, um, due to the wonderful weather that we've been having around here, I, uh, happened to catch a cold or something, and, uh, I just couldn't shake it, which, uh, yeah, it, yeah, but, uh, but the Wednesday before that I did talk to, a uh, another author, of my favorite author of mine, his name's, uh, Ben Tanzer out of Chicago, yeah, uh, <laughs> to actually talk about his uh new book upstate and uh he noted that uh I think two of his books are current, are technically out of print right now because um publishers went out of business for one reason or another. Yeah. Yeah that's uh yeah that's one that's my uh one thing I would uh as a fellow writer I would uh kinda advise you to keep a Eye out when it comes to publishing is uh, <laughs> where that publisher is about to go under or not, which, yeah. Which I don't believe that Punk Hotchins Press is gonna be doing anytime soon.
2: No, no, they they got so Punk Hush's Press, they've been around nine years, they're planning a big dig on their 10th anniversary next year in uh, Joshua Tree, which I'm gonna hope I, I've been invited to hopefully get to part of a big like anniversary reading their 10th anniversary but they got like 8 or 10 books they're going to release this year
1: coming out still to come so oh nice
2: uh, yeah, out, uh, out there in California yeah and, and they and it's so some of the writers they publish are some I mean they're pretty legendary underground uh, you know writers Michelle McDonald uh, S.A. Griffin uh, A. Razor Nadia Bruce Rawlings uh, William Scott Hayes had his first book out called Burden of Concrete um, Jack Grisham just incredible like pretty legendary underground writers you know in California and around the country
1: very nice
2: so I really like that every book seems to, like they asked me to write a blurb that was the first time somebody asked me to do that it's kind of cool Gary but uh, I got to write a blurb for Razor's book Um, uh, but you know how like every every book seems like it's a group effort somehow from the press that's kind of cool you know
1: Oh, yeah, that's, uh, that's indie press for you. We're all all technically in this together, one way or another.
2: Yeah, I know you work closely with other local artists like that,
1: too, you know? Uh, yeah. Yeah, my editor slash psychedelic guru, Zach Elmblad and I have been, uh, together, if you want to call it that, together since 2017. Yeah. Still going
2: strong, baby. All right, uh, (laughs) um... Irish just made a uh, video, by the way, of uh, one of my poems, Smokestacks. Stacks. Uh, it's pretty cool, like, it's like a two-minute long black-and-white video.
1: Oh, yeah, you sent me that one. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Okay, so, uh, not, say, uh, um, I was drawing a blank here, but, uh, how long has a $100-a-week motel been out?
2: Uh, it came out January 13th, so about a month and a
1: half. All right, and, uh, what has the reception been for the book so far?
2: And by the way, that's two months. I don't even know what day it is, hardly. Um, uh, so, so far, it, it, it's had rave reviews so far. Um, one of the things that I've been kind of, like, telling people, a guy named John Philpin uh, is a best-selling author, retired FBI, uh, serial killer profilist. Uh, he was a... Uh, consultant for the tv show Dexter that kind of he's really oh nice pretty, pretty high level artist you know kind of creative by the way he graduated from Harvard he gave my book a rave review so that's kind of cool you know
1: yeah Dexter's actually one of my favorite uh depression marathon shows on Netflix
2: I think I've watched five seasons of it so me too
1: yeah that yeah. and that and uh the anime Yu-Gi-Oh but uh they took well, off so like... My daughter watches anime.
2: I don't so much,
1: but
2: well, I do
1: because she does. Oh, come on. You don't know, yeah. like you don't know, like anime? Come on.
2: Nah, I mean, I watch it. I just don't get into it,
1: you know? Uh, you just haven't found the right one yet. Nah. <laughs> I don't, you know.
2: Well, <laughs> okay. But, uh, John Philpin he wrote two books with my mother-in-law. Which is how he found my book. <sighs> And then, he sent my mother-in-law an email, and he said, hey, in all honesty, no book has ever grabbed me like Dan's book since Bukowski and Hunter S. Thompson, which are like my two biggest emails. Oh, that's,
1: that's awesome, dude. Seriously. So, yeah, that,
2: that's kind of really kind of had me on file nine for a few days now, you know? So.
1: Yeah, that's awesome, man. That is that is great praise to get. No loss. Yeah,
2: and that's... You know, I, I think $100 a Week Motel really is a pretty good book. But now I think I've, i It's kind of, I, I guess, I think you know what I mean by this. Like, other writers start to, like, send you messages, hey, really good book. Or, you know, you start getting all these print requests from other writers. And at some point you realize, oh, these people consider me a writer. I must be a writer, you know? Mm-hmm. So now
1: I feel challenged, not challenged. I think the next book's almost done and it's pretty good. But I feel a drive to like keep working at it, you know, and keep writing more, you know. Well, that's actually my that's actually uh, my next question here. Uh, what's next? You uh, said that you're currently working on the next novel.
2: Yeah, So, my next book, is Press, by the way, has given me Heart Blanche. Did I say that word? I think it's how you said that, right?
1: Uh, maybe uh, I'm not
2: really. <laughs> <laughs> they've, let, they've they've agreed to publish anything I want to publish. Which is like an open-ended book deal, which is amazing in the small
1: When point, they when know? they uh, told you that, did you look at them slyly and say anything?
2: Nah, I was on the phone. <laughs> like I, it was okay. Like,
3: it's
2: so organic, I was like, ah, cool, you know. Um, but it's also like a hundred dollar repo hotel. I think is good enough. I don't want to have like a sophomore slump, you know.
1: So so the sequel won't be $200 a week motel?
2: <laughs> no. Okay.
1: But it's just as
2: depraved. So I wrote, I wrote a short story slash novella that's about 60 to 70 pages long called Finding Jesus. And it's about a drunken road trip from uh, central Ohio to Eureka Springs, Arkansas to see a 67-foot-tall concrete Jesus statue. Called Christ of the Ozarks. Hmm. Um, Along the way, there's some obstacles and uh, a palm reader that he falls in love with. And I can't tell you any more. But to fill out that book and make it a full length book, I'm working on the prayers to my saints, poems to my dead heroes. Part of that. All right. All
1: right. Very
2: good. That's next. Uh, Hopefully. Well my publisher's talking about maybe as part of their tenth anniversary celebration that be one of the books I release. So All right. um, then my and my partner, Libby, who is also a writer and my my best editor and fan, says it's better than $100 a hundred dollar week won't tell. So there's that.
1: Who you uh, said right now is listening in on this podcast?
2: Sort of. She moved to the recliner now. We're watching Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas on mute.
1: So oh, <laughs> That's how you podcast right there.
2: Well, we've both been in a funk, and that's kind of we agreed that's the kind of movie that gets you out of a funk.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, uh, speaking of Hunter S. Thompson movies, have you ever seen uh Where the Buffalo Roam? Yes. Oh man, I almost—I think I almost like that better than Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. I—I I, so I've debated that, and I think Fear and Loathing wins.
2: Oh, just on edge because I feel like Benicio del Toro's character is one of my favorite characters
1: of all time in movies. Oh, I, I totally agree that Fear and Loathing is a vastly better film. But yeah. it's it's just that Where the Buffalo Room is just... How do I put it? It's just... It's so absurd, and Bill Murray is such a bad Hunter S. Thompson. Yes,
2: that's part... Yeah. The, that aspect-wise, definitely that gets an edge over
1: Fear and Loathing. I mean, jo- I, I mean Johnny Depp, I guess, is is Thompson, he's Raul Duke. Whereas, with Bill yes. Murray, it's like, okay, uh, do an impression.
2: But <laughs> Bill Murray's Bill Murray, you know, like it's, yeah, I know. He's, al- he's almost iconic enough, he can't be Hunter S. Thompson, you know.
1: Well, also, I guess, when I, well, when I first learned about it years ago, I researched it before I bought it. I guess, according to like, fellow actors, and whatnot, uh, Bill Murray became way more of a dick after he made that movie because he, uh, I guess, absorbed Hunter Hunter S. Thompson's uh, vibes so much that he (laughs) just kind of stuck with him. So, I don't know, you're on the set of Ghostbusters and here's this asshole like, The Doomed.
2: Has this ever happened to you? So recently, I read a book. And the subject matter of the book... the book was well-written, it was a great book. But the subject matter was dark, and like two-thirds of the book, I felt kind of depressed reading it. And I finished it, and it was a great book, and I'm glad I did. But does that ever happen to you a little bit?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say that, but, uh, I, I would say that I've been shocked or even disturbed. Like, uh, like, like when I read, when I used to read the Marquis de Sade. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. Definitely him, uh. Or um. Or there's this a uh, serial killer, or was his name was Pee Wee Gaskins, basically the the greatest serial killer come out of South Carolina. He wrote he wrote in a quote unquote autobiography called Final Truth, mm-hmm. and yeah um. It's fucking bad. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, this it, is one thing I'm not struggling with
2: this quote unquote, but you know. You and I both talk about, like, you know, I've got depression issues and blah, 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 and bipolar. So, people, when people compare me to Hunter S. Thompson, like, that's just kind of whack to me, man. Uh, uh, I can, I can see why. I guess kind of like, whoa, you know, like, I don't, it's not heavy, but it's like, it's super, super fucking cool, man, but it's also like, holy shit, that's Hunter S. Thompson.
1: Wow. Well. I guess the way I would look at it is, uh, consider the source and what, because they're all, because I guess the I one you have said is, they're I'm trying to, the <laughs> no, they're, they're <laughs> pra- <way> from <laughs> they're praising you. They have good intentions. It's not like, well, s- it's not like someone writing you a one-star review saying, he's just like Hunter S. Thompson.
2: Nah. Um, I was going to say something, but i by the way, I think you'll appreciate this a little bit when we go on vacation to Orlando. The two books I, I have picked to read that we were there because we have a condo or a house with a private pool and a, a hot tub, right? Hmm. Really looking forward to like sitting outside in the sun and just reading a book, you know. Um. Uh, but I picked uh, *Fear and Loathing* in Las Vegas because I haven't read that in a while, and. Uh, a book called Kill Me Now, The Definitive Oral History of Punk Rock.
1: Oh, Please Kill Me, yes.
2: Yes, yes. One of my all-time
1: I, favorite I've never books. Read that. i I finally got a copy. I'm going to hopefully read it that way. Yep, it's one of my all-time favorite books right there.
2: I knew you'd appreciate that. Yeah. Now, I have. I can't believe I haven't read it. I'm listening to a podcast about the history of the Stooges, and they reference that book a lot, so I'm like, I had to get it. I've heard about it, but i got to get that. I can't wait to finally read it.
1: Uh, you, you'll enjoy it, I i assure you, you will.
2: People forget how much music history we have in this area, man.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: You know? Like, really, the MC5, that's one of my favorite bands.
1: Yeah, actually, uh, when I was in Chicago yesterday, I went to my favorite bookstore in Chicago called My Optic Books. Uh-huh. Wicker Park. And, uh, uh excuse me a sec. <coughs>
3: hmm.
1: Oh, man, got that COVID. <laughs> Oh uh, shit. Oh, <laughs> no. Don't worry, you can't catch you over podcasting, I think. Uh, I, I don't think it's mutated to that extent yet. But, does podcasting t- alter your DNA, Garrett? Are you sure? Oh, absolutely. Damn uh, it. I, but it's good, though. I mean, it's not like the bad mutation. It's not like a reptilian-level thing here. It's good.
2: So it's not 666-related? It's
1: not nope, not at all. It's 777. Okay. Okay, anyway, so I went there, and, uh, and much to my surprise and luck, I got a book called It's All Good, the John Sinclair Reader. Of John Sinclair, poet and, uh, former manager of the MC5. Mm -hmm. Yep, been enjoying it so far. It's, It's a mixture of, uh, selected articles and poetry by him.
2: Um... There's a bookstore in Orlando, and unfortunately I can't remember the name of it because I can't remember shit. But there's an independent bookstore in Orlando that's on our list. One of the days we're going to try to visit there.
1: Are you going to go to Disney World? Uh, No, negative. Uh, It might be there. They may have it in their bookstore. We
2: might might visit uh, Epcot Aquarium because our friends that we're going with want to do that. Mm -hmm. And I'm I'm cool with that, you know, like some touristy things, too, I guess. Um, Like, for instance, we're going to drive. So we're renting a Jeep Wrangler because I wanted a convertible and a union made out of the bill. And that's all i got to say about that. Uh, But uh, we plan on, you know, taking the top off and and spending a whole day driving to the Keys and back, you know. Mostly we plan on being safe, but, like, doing some
1: touristy things as we can too you know all right well do you think when you go on trips
2: like when you went to toronto and stuff do you always plan to go to a bookstore every time you go on a trip
1: uh actually a lot lately spend more so record stores because uh too. because uh god dude i got so many books and uh i don't i don't read as fast or as much as i used to since you know how big is uh, your to-be-read pile? Whew. Hmm. Well, uh, shit, I could probably send you a picture of my to-read pile, but, uh, yeah, it takes up an entire space on my
2: floor. Yeah, man, it's,
1: like, it's, I, I feel it's like easily, Mike keeps it's, growing, yeah, it's and e- I'm
2: e- saying, I don't read it, I don't have as much time to read as I want.
1: Well, you know us, you know, us famous indie authors, you know. These books are great, but we gotta be writing our own masterpieces.
3: Yeah, right. Yeah. Just, by the way, just this is this is the level of fame
2: I have reached as a writer. Is during this? Uh, I'm sure this is going to be one of those. Uh, they're gonna quote from this podcast interview here in our uh, our biopic uh, documentaries. I already know. Really? Yeah, I can tell. But oh, the hell yeah. level of fame I am in this interview, I had a ice cream sundae delivered and I ate it during this interview. Oh nice. Man, that's that's a high level of uh, fame right there. And comfort and really to be honest with you, white privilege, but <laughs> that's the topic. That's another topic.
1: All right. <laughs> well uh, well to to end this part of the interview, uh, I got I got a hundred dollar a week motel right here in my hand. Like I said, uh, thank you for saying it, and uh, thank you for signing it, too, since uh, I would say about, I don't know, 34 years from now, I'm probably going to sell it for millions of dollars so that uh, I can have the money to go live up in the space station that uh, Elon Musk is creating right now.
2: Yeah, well, and I, so I don't know if it'll be worth millions, but a good Bukowski autograph goes for about three grand.
1: Oh, I, oh! I assure you, I will get some that too. But, uh, t- but remember that, Mister Denton. That in the future, your book will help me live up in the stars, so that when the climate apocalypse hits, I will still keep on reading and writing. Do
2: you think they're gonna have cheap apartments there for the artists to live in? Oh hell no! Trailer
1: parks. <laughs> oh no no no! It's
2: if there's not trailer parks. There's not trailer park art and poetry in space. I don't want to go there.
1: Oh, uh, that's probably gonna be all like AI generated. Do you think the
2: AIs will generate that kind of art, or will
1: it be cookie cutter? Oh, Elon Musk will make sure that it's uh, the most perfect poetry ever. You know, Walt 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 Whitman will be crying in his grave. It's so yeah, perfect, yeah. but uh, I don't it, think they're gonna like me. No one likes me, my friend, except you. You like me.
2: (laughs) I love you, man. Like, you're like, you have just the right amount of angst and survivalism. But, like, what people don't understand is you're a real-life patriot. It's not that we hate our country. That's a different topic here. Uh,
3: Yeah, yeah. Keep writing and
2: keep making art, bro. Yeah, yeah,
1: I would disagree with that one. But, yeah, thanks for the love. But, uh... Well, no, I mean, it's like despite all my eggs like, I really
3: do love my country. I just want to make it different and better, <laughs> you
2: know? All right. <laughs> and I want to live somewhere where I don't have to shovel 12 inches of snow ever again in my life.
1: Yeah, we can agree on that one. <laughs> okay.
2: That so that was like a three-day nightmare, dude. The next day, so my mother-in-law lives in Perrysburg. A, I guess that would be like one of the more affluent suburbs in my area. <laughs> it's like a 25-minute drive, right? hmm so the next day after the historic snowstorm, I get in my four-wheel drive truck, I drive to her house, I have to dig out her Ford Escort that's like 20 years old and only has like 30,000 miles on it because she has a doctor's appointment the next day. Well, the snow pile had went down her little alley side street and there was like a four-foot drift and all I have is a shovel. It was a fucking knife. I'm too old for that shit, man. Welcome to
1: the Midwest in February. Yep. <laughs> all right. Thanks for letting
2: me bitch. Welcome to my
1: TED Talk. <laughs> Alright, before we go on, uh, next topic, I would uh, well, i like to again congratulate you on the new book. Thank and you. uh, in your honor, I would like to read the very first chapter. Oh, that'd be S- awesome. Man. Since, I think it really since like all good books, it really sets up the theme and the storyline for the rest of it. Awesome, thank you. Uh, hold on a sec. <clears throat> uh, I had to drink that water. Um, this episode <laughs> is brought to you by uh, water that I uh, filled up into my previous uh, <laughs> previous jug and then put it in my refrigerator to cool. All right, folks, uh, first chapter of $100 a Week Motel by Dan Denton. The tire burgundy door sagged so that you had to turn your key with one hand and lift up the knob, loose from being lifted a cunt hair a dozen times a day. And the burgundy paint had long lost the will to live and had given in to the daily thundering pounding of the July noon suns. The air conditioner was the size of a small eco-car and grunted and groaned and never quite seemed to hold back summer. Brown carpet with mysterious stains that told a story of no-fuck's-left desperation. Lifeless curtains. Wobbly table. Sagging chair. queen sized bed with mattress written hard by boredom and lust. Summer. Lightweight. Quilt. Faded tan with frayed hole near foot of the bed. Mirrors above the bed mounted on the ceiling. Two-drawer dresser. Mini fridge and microwave. Trash can that holds three empty tall boys before slowly vomiting up three days worth of hopelessness. Sink and mirror. Toilet with jiggly handle. Rust stained shower with dripping shower head big boxy TV with free cable and HBO, and a two-way switch in the back that clicked the antenna over to a 24-hour adult movie channel. (laughs) Sorry. Jacking off on threadbare bath towels under $6 a bottle of champagne, splattered mirrors every night at 11 p.m., soaking in the neon glow of hardcore porn, and lights out $100 a week motel room has a certain ambience. Home is where your heart makes it. Well done, my friend. Thank uh, you. Oh uh, wait, let's do that again. I gotta get. I gotta get in on that.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You can see how maybe uh, some of the more Christian-leaning co-workers reading this would make me a little nervous.
1: Well, uh, as long as they're not like, uh, <clears throat> spoiler alert, your the character kitty fucker I'm sure we're all good (laughs) that by the way is uh
2: the bones of that character is based on a real life person I worked in a different factory with Um,
1: Uh, oh oh dude a quick story uh back back in Alpena I uh worked two summers at uh the cement plant in town that my dad worked at he's retired now uh the second year I uh Worked for a contractor there. And, uh... Ooh, sorry. And, uh... This, I worked worked there, and, uh... Unfortunately, my partner there was, uh... A, a dickhead. I mean, uh... Very lazy. He liked to, like, fake back injuries in order to get out of work early. Uh-huh. He did... I will give him this. He did stand up for, uh... Safety rights. And he... and. And the cement plant itself doesn't have a union, but the contractor does. Mm -hmm. So he technically got himself out of work that was technically dangerous by, you know, uh, bringing up his union contract. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we butt heads a lot. We nearly got into a fight once. And, uh, he disappeared one day. I think he got fired finally. And, uh, my mom and I, uh, were, uh, (laughs) We were, uh, checking out the local sex offender registry one weekend. You know, in small town Alpena, Michigan, that's what you do on the weekends. Yeah, you know, just the family scours the local sex offender registry. And, uh, we were going through there, and I see one, I'm like, hey, that guy looks familiar. I click on it, and, yeah, it's the dickhead that I worked with for, like, t- two months, I think. And... Well, not, it's not funny, but, well, this part isn't funny. Uh, I believe he was a tier three sex offender, which is like the worst, like victim, victim 12 and under.
2: Uh, yeah. That, uh, so that coworker I worked with, um, all I'm comfortable saying on air is that they had to put a video camera in the parking lot because he suddenly started having a rash of flat tires. Really, and, uh, it, that culminated in him eventually taking a sick leave from work because somebody kept uh, "quote unquote" printing off his sex offender page and hanging up copies of it in the bathrooms at work.
1: Very nice. Uh,
2: some unidentified vigilante. Uh, hmm. I would say I would say unhailed hero. But anyway, he ended up on a
1: long stretch sleeve. Yeah, you, yeah, you know the song "Hero" by Nickelback that was in the <laughs> Spider-Man yeah. movie. They yeah. say that a hero can save us. That one that would yeah. play. That would play every time this uh, mysterious vigilante would uh, pin it to the wall. Yeah, <laughs> but, but you
2: know, I, I think I think I realized at some point that being living a poor life and like working in all these shitty factories over the years and all like, you know, and it's like, not that my troubles weren't self-inflicted because i you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic for God's sake, you know,
3: I'm mm-hmm. a real life
2: homeless alcoholic at one point. It's like once, but once if you survive that, like all of the adventures and rich characters, you knew that becomes fodder for writing at some point, just like small town, become spotted for writing you know what i mean
1: oh yeah as, as i said before uh all all books are all biographical and s- to to some extent
2: yeah let me so my uh, author friend michael Brover asked me asked me this question the other day i've been thinking about this do you think it's possible you could write something that's purely fiction
1: <laughs> hmm It's a very good question how do you respond
2: I I can't, well, I do write fiction, but I feel like even my best imagination fiction is still influenced by my experience, like, by my perspective, you know? Like, it's still, it's still me, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, no, I I don't think you can write anything purely 100% fiction, you know?
1: Well, 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 I mean... I guess
2: Stephen King probably does, maybe, shit. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, by extent, I mean, like whether it's something directly like, you know, Bukowski or Kerouac, or it's something that interests you in a way, like Stephen King or Robert yeah. Robert Heinlein, the guy who wrote Starship Troopers, among other science fiction works, it all involves stuff that they're interested in. Yeah. So, it's also like how you market it, too. You know, Kerouac, Kerouac obviously did that, like, you know this this happened this character is this this character is that whereas, uh, watched, whereas watched the, uh whereas black. stephen where stephen king I'm sure a lot of stuff takes place in his uh state but uh he's not really like saying well this is based on this and this base is based on that person yeah, so it's really like the extent of all, how autobiographical is and uh how you market it.
2: We watched a by the way, off topic again, a Kerouac. It was like a black and white recording of him being interviewed on live TV by William F.
1: Buckley, I think. Oh God, that interview! Yeah, when he's completely like up, drunk, man. Completely hammered, yeah, it's a good interview. It's like it's pretty wild, but like I think he's, I think he's with Ginsburg and Ed Sanders. Yep, they were there, and. The whole thing is just him being like, like, he on the Jews and shit and like... Oh, yeah, he's like, I think the Vietnam War is... Hold on, let me do the voice. I think the Vietnam War is just get jeeps into Vietnam. <laughs> it's like, jeez. <laughs> Man, um, Yeah, I, I, I think that... Like, at
2: least for me, I don't know. Stephen King's a great writer.
1: Uh, it all goes back. Oh, yeah, he's definitely one of the great modern ones, whether people want, want to admit it or not. Yeah. Despite the, I,
3: uh,
2: despite the criticism. My next book, Finding uh, Jesus, is definitely fiction, but I have visited that 67-foot tall, concrete Jesus, you know. All right. <laughs> I, have, I went there when tw- I was 12 years old. I went there on a family film trip with, uh, not a family, uh, a Sunday school film trip from the church that I was indoctrinated in as a child.
3: All right.
2: Um, it was a pretty wild weekend in Eureka Springs, Arkansas with my Sunday school <laughs> class yeah. I'm 12 years old.
1: Alright folks, uh, $100 a week motel out now through Punk Hostage Press. Please purchase it.
2: Yeah, thank you. Uh, you can get copies from www.punkhostagepress.com uh, to avoid the Amazon strike this week and www.gatheringvolumes.com, a local bookstore in Northwest
1: Ohio. All right, uh, next topic. Next topic here, and they're both kind of update topics since uh, when you and I last talked. I uh, visited you at your home studio, and uh, I believe around this time was uh, both when you established not nah, Duck and A Row Studios, and when you uh-huh. and when you first started the Blue Collar Gospel Hour.
2: Yeah, you were my first guest, actually. Uh, uh Swapcast.
1: Yeah, uh, yeah, very honored for that. I'm glad I could help you out there.
2: Yeah, that was super cool, man. You have, like, so you and, uh, a local, another local podcast host, Chris Daher, were both, like, the two people I first talked to about wanting to start a podcast and kind of gave you a little bit of advice, and so,
1: yeah, so, thank you for that. Yep, so it's been a couple of months since, uh, you and I last talked. Yeah, uh, How's the podcast been going?
2: Well, we've recorded and released 25 episodes, I believe. Uh, about an average of one to two a week. Uh, sometimes it's been overwhelming. Um, <laughs> sometimes I've overbooked myself and had like three guests in a week, and that's too much when you work a full-time job, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's been mostly really good for me because I've got to talk to a lot of cool and interesting people, you know. Like by my podcast, I have a guest on every episode that I talk to, or multiple guests, you know. Um, recently, my last four episodes have averaged 100 listeners. That's kind of cool.
1: Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. Uh, who? What kind of guests do, do you talk to? Do you uh, all know them in real life, or are they people you're interested in and you contacted them? Uh, a mix of both. So far, my early episodes have been mostly
2: people I knew or have known for years, you know. I try to keep, I try to keep it a good mix of, like, unionism talk. So, like, my maybe my union co-workers or other union labor slash labor kind of people. And a mix with that and a mix with, like, working artists. Uh, people like me and you that have full-time jobs and are writers, you know and, like, try to help promote them and pick their brains about their process, and somehow talking to people like you in these conversations, people are interested in that, you know, so far, so, and it helps me be a better artist, I think. Oh,
1: yeah, uh, my podcast is, uh, generally monthly. I would like to do more, but, uh, well, again, kind of like writing, I have to, like, fit around my schedule, aka my day job, and... Pretty much everything else.
2: Well, I think that's the one thing I underestimated, Gary is podcasting really is a lot of work. Like, you got to schedule this, you know, around people's schedules, and then you got to listen to it and edit it. And then, you know, sometimes, like, being a DIYer, one of my microphones might not be tuned right, so there's an echo I got to try to fix. You know, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's more work than I, I bargained for, I guess. Which has been okay, but sometimes that gets a little overwhelming. So, one of the things I've done is I've started to slow down this year and try to focus on one a week that's a good quality episode. And uh, I feel like that's helped me like focus more on my quality audio, audio quality and stuff. And uh, I feel like I'm getting better at not stammering, you know. Like, I guess anything, the more I do it, hopefully I get better at, you know.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah, same here, man. That's really all you can kind of hope
2: for. You, you by the way, uh, I, I haven't listened to every episode you've ever put out.
1: Boo. Listen- what are you doing been, with your life?
2: No, but listen, I, I've been listening to your show long enough that from your early episodes to now, there's a big difference in, like, you've improved as a podcaster, by the way. Uh,
1: I certainly hope so. I mean... You're
2: way, you're way more smooth as a talker than you were in your early episodes.
1: I mean, I still fuck up and flub a lot It's has kind of, it's actually to the point where i've kind of made it a character trait you know turn, yeah, well, turn a turn turn a weakness into a strength.
2: i feel like in the diy scene like that's kind of like part of our gym you know part of our alert is that we're kind of rough around the edges hopefully yeah hopefully, I, that's, hopefully people buy into that as part of our alert you know yeah
1: my, my favorite my favorite one i think the last major time i fucked up was uh with our local Grand Rapids comedian Garrett Elzinga, who uh, who's one of the co-hosts of a movie podcast, and uh, I I, f- I forget which movie word I, was, I think I was uh, comparing comparing them to like different movie reviewers. I uh, said I said like <laughs> I said like Roger Eber, I said Roger Roper or something, <laughs> and he's like, "Wait, wait, wait! Are you talking about Roger?" Roger Ebert? I'm like, oh, god damn it. Yeah, It's one of those things where you sound like really intelligent and sure, then you fuck up.
2: Well, I I always, sometimes when I re-listen back to an episode, I'm editing it, I'll hear, like, I made a mistake in telling it back, and I'm just like, fuck it. Like, I'm not Joe Rogan. I'm not wealthy enough to hire a full-time engineer to fact-check everything on spot of the moment. (laughs)
1: Like <laughs> No, Joe, Joe Rogan fucks up too. He's got that yeah. big-brained energy that he relies on, and but you know that's part of that's part of his alert. Yeah, it is. Is that, is
2: that he's? And, and let's be honest. Like I listen to Rogan. I, I'm more. I'm way more selective now when he which like which which guests he gets. I listen to. Oh uh, God, he I don't have time. But. He's gotten he,
1: he's gotten bad lately, all because of. Uh, of course, he's obsessed with cancel culture to the point yeah, where he brings up you know, every I, time. I
2: feel like he's right about some of that, though. But that's neither here. There. I I gotta tell you, my my funniest meme I've seen lately. By the way, you'll appreciate this. I think being a meme lord yourself. Oh, uh,
3: thank
1: thank you for pointing that out.
2: <laughs> yeah, we can't let this episode go without mentioning Garrett being the meme lord, which sometimes is risky enough to get him uh, arrested by the Facebook cops.
1: Oh yeah. Dude, I got, I got hit twice last week, actually. One f- one for, like, one I posted back in 2016. And uh, it claimed that I was, pr- I was trying to promote a dangerous organization because, uh, God, what's the actor who plays the Harry, po- Harry Potter in the films? He started. Uh, what's his name? Daniel Radcliffe. Yeah, uh, I think he stars in a movie where he's like a neo-Nazi or something. So, so someone memed it and put it like Harry Potter in the Final Solution. <laughs> so I post, I posted that back in 2016. Got good laughs out of it. Slap forward to 2021. You have, you have violated our guidelines for posting violent and dangerous yeah, you can't images. Have holder, man. Uh, let's not get into that, man, because I have a lot of opinions. <laughs> Well
2: anyway, my new favorite meme, or at least one of the funniest ones I've seen lately, is that guy sitting behind a table at the Change My Mind
1: meme. Uh fucking Steven Crowder, fuck him.
2: Yeah, but it says at Joe you, Rogan Joe Rogan Joe Rogan is Oprah for guys.
1: Yeah, pretty much. That is true. Uh that
2: is funny
1: to me. Fun fact with Steven Crowder, uh I had the pleasure of seeing him get his face caved in back in twenty twelve oh during uh our right to work protests in Lansing. Uh huh. He was there with the pro right to work crowd, antagonizing people. No, yeah. the the usual shit like what? What? Don't you believe in freedom? You know, stuff like yeah. that. And uh, one of the dude, one of the, one of the blue collar dudes just punched him right in the fucking face. Yeah. My it voice
3: spoke. it, it I, was. I'm pretty. I want to be Buddhist
2: and anti-violent, but sometimes you got to punch a Nazi.
1: Yeah, like yeah, it yeah, it was fucking awesome, and I was, I, I was there for what happens that, to too. Happens, I, don't have any
2: stuff. How about
3: that?
1: I know, it, it was awesome, I was, I saw it, I saw it in real life, it was great, and, yeah. and, and the tent got, afterwards, the, the right to, the right to work people's tent got torn down, there was a mini riot, and, uh, like a day or so later, Stephen Crowder was on Fox News claiming that, um, guy who rocked his shit was lucky that uh, he didn't unleash his martial arts skills on him. (laughs) Well, one time
2: before, no, it hasn't been, I'm not necessarily a pacifist, but one time, a few years ago, uh, I got a hundred and some likes on Facebook for offering to fight Milo, whatever his
1: name is. Milo Yiannopoulos, yes. That
2: guy, man. Like, I feel like that somebody just needs to, like, okay, so what happened? I challenged him to a street fight underneath our street light at 9 p.m. <laughs> just me and him, mano a mano. Uh, he did not respond to my social media request. Um, I think he's too chicken to face me, Gary.
3: Well,
1: uh-huh. well, actually, he's, I don't know, he's probably shacked up in a crack house by now because uh, he kind of canceled himself on Joe Rogan by uh, basically defending uh Pedophile priests.
2: Yeah, I mean that's. I mean that's. And you know, do we really need those people to be stars and to be?
1: No, no, not at all. Uh, Basically, if
2: you're if you're struggling with those kind of boundaries, um, you know, like (laughs) let's not idolize those people. You
1: know. Well, the thing with him. And a lot of these guys like Crowder and Shapiro and that is and Ben Shapiro is that, uh, they're just guys. At, actually, I'm kind of like uh, paraphrasing, a, a old conservative columnist. The only conservative that I ever liked, his name was Charlie Reese. And, uh, he basically made a point in one of his old columns is that, uh, guys like him who write columns are basically just, Making a living saying opinions that's really it yeah. they're not yeah. It's not like you and I who are making art and putting it out into the world it's it, it's literally you know you and I can spend months, maybe years writing something and getting it out there through a publisher or through whatever, and then these jerk offs can go on lo- go online or on Fox or whatever and just say something shitty and boom famous. Money comes in. It's... Yeah. It's fucking
2: bullshit, dude. Welcome to
1: capitalism, man. Yep. Exactly. Capitalism and fascism and lobbyists.
2: Lobby, lobby, you know lobbyism is like a $10 billion a year industry?
1: Oh, yeah. Like billions. I mean, that's one reason why we... While the COVID relief bill got passed, uh, that's that's one reason why we don't have 15... Fifteen dollar an hour minimum right now. Fuck yeah! Because because a lot of lobbying, including that you see, like that one was a senator. She she showed her vote by just walking up and giving a thumbs down. Yeah. God. Fuck
3: that it's shit. Like they
2: really they really don't want to pay people a living wage, man. Yeah. So, by the way, some of the things because of COVID that have fascinated me. Um, have you been reading lately that employers are having a really hard time getting people to come to work? Oh, yeah. And, like, all of these, like, conservatives and even the corporatist like, Democrat kind of people are really losing their shit about that. Like, oh, we gotta stop giving these people an extra $300 a week. They don't want to go back to work. Like, if your company is so shitty that $700 is more than you would make at your shit company, like, maybe you should look at that, you know?
1: <laughs> no, that is that is totally their mindset, though. It's just every, everyone <laughs> but them is lazy. They all got to be but, controlled.
2: Did you see that study that came out of San Francisco about universal basic income? Uh, no, I haven't. I'll send you a link to it. I've been, I've been kind of reading articles about this study. They did a study for 18 months. In San Francisco, they picked a, a diverse group of people to give $500 a month to just free money. And, much to everyone's surprise, at the end of this study, there was an almost double increase in full-time employment
1: amongst the participants. Oh, like shit, for real?
2: Almost twice as many people had a full-time job at the end of the study as before, Garrett. Ain't that amazing?
1: Now who would have thunk that? Money makes ma- having money makes you. having money makes life easier.
2: Well, that's one of the guys interviewed said he had three part time jobs before that $500. So he started getting that. He said that enabled him to quit his weekend job, and having weekends off made him like feel better. And he realized kind of what he wanted to do in life. So now he just had one full time job and was like way happier in
1: life. You Ooh, know? that's bad. In America, no. you have to be productive and working all the time. Man, if they do enough of these studies, capitalism might be in trouble. Or it's going to be a big push. Uh, I don't know, man. We're a very anti scientific country. So, hey, I don't wow. know, man. What the fuck, man? Sometimes <laughs> okay. it just feels hopeless and overwhelming, Gary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're black pilled enough. So let's talk about, let's keep talking about something better. <laughs> yeah. Okay, uh,. Yeah, uh, okay, maybe this isn't better, but I want to hear the story about it. Um, so, you've been going pretty good with the podcast, but, uh, I heard that apparently you've been having some trouble with the copyright office or the name? Oh,
2: man, yeah, the trademark office, those motherfuckers.
1: <laughs> so, what happened? So, I, I, I picked my name the Blue Collar Gospel Hour, right? Right. Uh
2: and that was something I said randomly. I did a Facebook Live fortune reading, and I told people I was just talking shit and kind of feeling, you know, kind of feeling, you know, a little cocky and confident with some recent success. And I said I'm bringing the blue collar gospel truth, and uh, I kind of thought that was a cool name, so I trademarked it. Right? Well, at least I, I tried to trademark it. Um, it is a currently. It is protected by trademark law because I have a six month period where I have to respond to this fucking government attorney who says I don't have Christian music on my podcast, so I am misrepresenting my name.
1: Wait, wait, okay, so it's not that someone out there already has a show called the Blue Cow no, Gospel feel Hour. Like I'm misrepresenting it, who it's I it's the con- oh, wait, wait, is this is it because they think that you are trying to do, like some religious shtick?
3: Yes.
1: Oh, geez. Now I see why. Which is maddening to me because I'm a writer, first of all,
2: who loves the dictionary. And if you look at the word "gospel" and the second definition is a simple word called that says "truth." Like I'm simply trying to bring the working artist truth to light. That's it. <laughs> and these fucking government assholes. So I, when I trademarked my show, I did a DIY. So I, I studied and I read and I figured out how to apply myself for a trademark, right? Because I right. want to save money for attorneys. Um, so I, I've been reading about it. I figured out how to respond. I haven't crafted my response yet, but I'm confident I got a good shot of winning this one. Though.
3: Hmm.
2: Which I decided if I don't win, what does that mean? That I can't use the name? It doesn't mean that. It just means that people can steal my name. And I can't sue them, I guess. But do I really care?
1: Or can you even really afford it?
2: I mean, is anybody really going to sue to steal the blue-collar
1: gospel app? I don't know. Uh, Maybe if, like, the blue-collar comedy guys came back and, like, started doing Christian comedy, they could do that.
2: Well, I guess maybe if, uh, if I got a book, like, famous enough, somebody might steal my shit or something. I don't fucking know. Whatever. It's just another pain in the ass. Like... (laughs) <laughs> if only our government cared about small business and the, the little guy, you know what I mean? Yeah. Which they completely don't, but they all say they do.
1: Well, well dude, I really hope that this uh, works out for you. And, uh,
2: well, it's, it's gonna, if not, I'm still going to rail about it, and I'm still going to like be a spur under their saddle if I
1: can. Well, I assure you, though, it can possibly work out in your favor, because uh, I haven't told anyone the story yet, but... Yeah, I had something similar happen uh, when I first started my podcast, because uh, it turns out there's another Garrett Schalke out there who also has a podcast. And uh, But rather than you, like, who went through the government channels, I just sent the guy a bunch of death threats, and uh, he relented and <laughs> let me use the name.
2: <laughs> That's the more DIY punk style.
1: Yeah, there that. we go.
2: That's yeah. more hardcore.
1: Yeah, who knew that... Uh, Threatening like a seventy-year-old guy with death would uh, <laughs> he would he would say, "Okay, I'll delete everything I have, Mister Shalkey." Yeah,
2: so I, I I've chosen the more pop punk out here. Uh, still
1: DIY. Um, yeah, you see, I'm I'm more of a Black Flag. You're more of a Green Day.
2: Yeah, well, I did see Green Day's uh, "Bill." It's not American Idiot on Broadway when I was in New York City. Oh, really? Uh, how was that? Yeah, that was well. I really so I was there, and I had to see a show on Broadway because I'm in Times Square, right? So I chose that one because it was the cheapest ticket on Broadway. It
3: mm-hmm. was
2: fourteen dollars.
1: Okay, so uh, how was the show?
2: Uh, "American Idiot" by Green Day.
1: Well, how was <laughs> it? The musical.
2: It was pretty good, actually. I mean, I like Green Day in the 90s when I was younger. They're a pretty good band. Oh, yeah. kinda, they are kind of pop-punk, which I didn't know was a thing until recently.
1: Oh, dude, I, dude, I, I love pop-punk. Really, I have. And, uh, I, I, look, I mean,
2: I have. So, and some look, of my musician friends locally here are in a pop-punk band. And I'm like, wait a minute,
1: what the fuck is pop-punk? And they started explaining it to me. I'm like, oh, yeah, cool. Well, like, you, you, know? you know who was probably like the very first pop-punk band, actually? The Ramones. Who? The Ramones.
2: Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I I I was just talking... So my publisher, by the way, Punk Hostage Press, Iris Berry, my editor and publisher, her biography says that she was one of the founding members of the underground punk scene in Hollywood. So you can imagine the cool stories that she tells when we talk on the phone, by the way. Really,
1: like in the 80s? Yes. Oh, so this was, like, the hardcore punk scene there with, like, Black Flag and Dead Kennedys and whatnot. Yep. Oh, shit, that is awesome.
2: Uh, she told me a story, and I don't want to be the guy that tells her story, because it's her story. But she told a story the other day about meeting Tom Waits. And I (laughs) was like, wait, wait, what? (laughs) Like, it's just, she's just all casual about this shit, and I'm like, huh?
1: Uh, Wait, what? You know? Okay, was this, like, Tom Waits when he was, like, his cool jazz beatnik character or was he uh, bi- or was he by this time like weird william Burrow- Burroughs guy who like no, I-, I don't know that. like sings into trash cans and records it no before that oh uh, like the like the early like late 70s early 80s Tom Waits. Uh, that that would be my favorite tom waits yeah hard saturday hard uh, saturday uh, nights was my all time like, favorite casually tells those stories blows my
3: fucking mind man Nice. You know. and it's like, holy
2: shit, that person that has lived this high level creative life makes my writing just good. How cool is
1: that? Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. All right, dude. So, uh, last topic of the night. Another uh-huh. uh, another update. Uh, we talked about your podcast. Uh, what about we talk about your publishing there?
2: The uh-huh.
1: Not a Duck in Any Row Studios.
2: Yeah, so we started. Well, I guess I started, I say we, but it's because I've had some help, you know. Uh, The Lunch Bucket for Gay. It's a uh, DIY publishing company. We make staple books. Uh, Basically, my goal is to make, like, books that working people can take to work and read on their breaks. Um, And so far, we've... we've, I was trying to put together some uh, numbers. But I think I've shipped books to, like, 30-some states now, Hmm. and a couple different countries, which has been kind of wild. I just got some books rejected and sent back from Nigeria, (laughs) because I I made an error on the uh, customs form. Oh, really? So I guess it's dangerous to ship poetry to Nigeria. I don't fucking know. They, like, they, they had to fill out customs forms some countries. You they didn't, know, like, read the,
1: they didn't, like, read the content and said this is illegal
2: propaganda? No, they didn't even open it. It just, I guess I filled out the, I, I made a mistake on the fucking customs form and you can't do that shit, I guess. Uh, That's big daddy government, you know, fucking capitalism once again. But, uh, no, the publicity's been kind of cool. Uh, we're losing money on it because we pay writers. Um.
1: Yeah, it tends to happen, uh. I'm sure you would save money if you just uh, had them work for free or, you know. Yeah, but
2: that's, you know, I want to, I think if I do this right, hopefully over time I'll get to the place where it breaks even and funds itself, which is the goal. And in the meantime, the coolest part is I get to be the guy that gets 15 or 20 writers sending their work every month, and I get to be the guy that reads that. Yeah. Nobody, they send me their work, you know. And I get to read all this cool poetry
1: every month, you know? Yeah, you know, you know, cool. you know how you can save money? Just say that uh, we'll pay you in exposure.
2: Yeah, well, I do, <laughs> I do send five free books, too. Uh,
1: that's, a, that's, so, a jo-
2: that's a joke, a And, and folks. I'm not, to be honest, you're, nobody's getting rich here. I pay $10 for, per poem for male writers and $15 per poem for female writers. And the reason why I pay five hours more for women is in honor of hashtag RBG. Uh, Because women have, especially, oftentimes in the artistic field, women have been underrepresented and have been not paid as evenly. And so you would be surprised
1: how many men get pissed at that, by the way. Oh, yeah, it does. I mean, it's just kind of a little sticky thing. I I mean, mean, just. I mean, you know how many freakouts I've seen over the years. Whenever like, if I'm in a Facebook group that just has is all just submissions, where like people can post about, you know, anthologies or presses can talk about their upcoming stuff. If they put something like you know, for LGBTQ women of color only, oh yeah. god, you at least get like ten, twenty comments of all these. Fucking lame ass dudes complaining about it.
2: Yeah, it's like, come on, man. Like, like nobody's getting rich. Like it's the cool thing. So, also, I should mention this. I need to. I need to promote this better, Jared. But The Lunch Bucket Brigade. All, all of our zines. A dollar from every zine sold goes to a local food bank, <clears throat> because. <coughs> the Lunch Bucket Brigade, excuse me, the Lunch Bucket Brigade uh, name is borrowed or stolen from Lunch Bucket Brigades originally founded by women would make these box lunches and like make a chain and like sneak them in the back window of a sit-down strike at a factory. Hmm. That kind of got coined the term Lunch Bucket Brigade, kind of. Uh, the more you know. Yeah, so I picked that name for that reason because it has that meaning for, like, labor and factories, you know, and unions. But also because, you know, I'm trying to make, like, working hard for those people. But also because I want to be my neighbors, you know. It's important. I grew up poor. I want to support my community a little bit, you know.
3: So,
2: unquote, make this a small business. I want to give back, I guess.
1: Yeah, uh, what uh, authors have you uh, published so far?
2: So, our first chapbook was by my, my local singer-songwriter-poet buddy, Craig James Ackerman. He wrote an incredible, I guess, novella short story.
1: It's very much Richard Brodigan-style, like one-page chapters. Oh, nice.
2: It's, a, it's called Department Stores. Um, a local best-selling author, I gave them a copy of this, this chapbook, by the way, called Department Stores, and they said... It's one of the most exciting things they'd ever read, by the way. Uh, So that was the first one we ever put out, was Craig J. Mackerman's Department Stores. Pretty cool book. Michael Brober has a book of uh, messages for Donald Trump. It's eight poems, like kind of, you know, messages of Donald Trump. It's a cool little chat book. And then in my zines, I've published, like John Dorsey's been like in a couple of the zines. Uh, We've had uh, several poets from Wisconsin, Missouri, California, um, Ohio, of course, and Michigan, Florida, Tennessee, Kentucky. So we've been able to publish, I think, so far, a wide range of diverse writers. And hopefully by doing that, we can get this into working people. will find some writers they like, you know.
1: Yeah, got, got anything uh, coming up that's particularly notable?
2: Our next scene is uh, out April 5th, I think it is, a Monday. Uh, we're taking the month of March off because... I got that week vacation coming up and some other projects and I kind of got a fig- I want to figure out how to promote this lunch bucket brigade better because I want to get, th- I feel like these artists deserve to get read. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Which is really why I want to do this, you know? Uh, but like I said, uh, that comes out in April. I got a couple of solo projects to be announced soon. I have a couple of solo chat books coming from artists. But I haven't nailed down the specifics with them, so I don't want to announce that yet. Um, but some cool things, you know, which, by the way, also takes up time because you got to read poems and lay out books. And um, so basically, I have two full time jobs now being an artist and being a factory worker. And uh, at some point, I'd like to do more of what I want to do, you know?
1: Yep. So, uh, <laughs> the roll, yeah. So, overall, uh, what's. What has your experience as a publisher been like?
2: Um, it's been good for me because I get to read a lot of different writers every month. Because all in one place, they send me their work. Well, that's been really good for me as an artist. But my, I guess my experience is right now it's just really tough to sell art. At least it seems to be. like I, A lot of the writers I've been talking to and other publishers, like small indie publishers, uh, like it's just... Because we can't get out and do readings. We can't go to art shows. We can't travel as much, you know.
1: Uh, I, I mean, there is, there is a plague going on. So, yeah, I can understand why it's pretty tough. But,
2: like, even my first book coming out, $100 a $100 Week Hotel, it's sold relatively well. But I haven't been able like, to have a big book release. We had to have an online one. By the way, that was pretty cool. But I guess that's the cool thing is these Zoom readings and stuff. You get to promote a little bit, and you get to, like, have a diverse group of writers around the country in one region. Uh, but mm-hmm. you can't go to 30 people in a coffee shop and read from your book and sign 10 books and sell them, you know? Yeah. Well, so, I guess, my buddy Patrick McGee, by the way, you'll appreciate this, I think. It stuck with me. I did a podcast with Patrick McGee and Joe Matthews, uh, two musicians and artists in Memphis, Tennessee area, uh, virtually. And they, uh, Patrick McGee said he's been an artist for over 30 plus years, Garrett. He said that as an artist, you have to learn to adapt. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, man, that's good advice, you know? That's the best advice an artist can get, really. Huh. All
1: right. All right, brother. Uh, brown
2: ones like us, you know? yep.
1: uh, bro- guys that can't afford, we can't afford
2: to hire a promotions company to advertise for us.
1: Oh, uh, thank God for the internet. Do all that for free. Yeah.
2: Hey, man, yep. if, they can't, if they quit kicking us off, their
1: shit. Ah, oh, jeez. Well, we can always go to parlor, By the way. Or Gab. Or Telegram. I've had a hard time.
2: You know how, like, maybe you can do, like, little cheap uh, $10 Facebook ads and shit to promote your stuff?
1: Uh, I stopped doing that because it just never worked for me.
2: Well, I'll do it. I'll do, like, the $5 ones because I figure at least the people that follow me will be more likely to see it. But I've had a hard time, like, promoting my book that way. Because of language. (laughs) 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 Fucking fascist. So much... So much for promotion of free speech on public platforms.
1: Well, don't worry. Don't worry, my friend. As you can tell, you could swear as much as you want on this podcast.
2: yeah. uh, That's the beauty of, uh... DIY. That that really... I've been thinking about that. That's the... As long as we can keep the internet mostly free. That's the beauty. It kind of, like... Levels the playing go a little bit, you know? Yeah. It allows people like us to do this from our homes and um, try to make our mark, you know? Yeah. Hustle, oh. our, hustle our, our philosophies and our work, you know?
1: Yep. Oh, dude.
2: Jeff, Eric, way to, way to go. I, pre- I appreciate your hustle, man.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate you as well.
2: So, I appreciate um, you, you always wanting to make a difference in a positive way as much as you can and always, like, making an effort to make your markers a writer, you know?
3: Oh,
1: thank
2: you. That's that's definitely a grind in today's world.
1: Well, well upon that praise being showered upon me, I uh, I think this would be a good time to end this podcast. Perfect. For, Thanks for, for having me on, man. I appreciate it, Gary. Yeah, uh, promo time, Dan. Dan uh, where can people find you and, well, all your work and all your projects? So the best way, Google Dan Denton, 100 Hour Week Hotel. You can find the book.
2: Well, if you go to, so the podcast and the publishing and all that stuff, if you go to www.noduckstudios.com. Um, by the way, Garrett, my green room lounge uh, that I'm going to start working on soon, hopefully, is going to be called Stray Duck Lounge. Hmm. Um, have been in with the No Duck Studios, not a duck in a hero. So to keep, to keep with the disorganized theme,
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. earlier today when I was writing out the notes, you know, for questions and that, that I wanted to ask you, uh, I uh, accidentally wrote, not a fucking Any Row Studios. That's very accurate as well. Um, it's hard to wind all the
2: fucks
1: up. No, them. it is so accurate, in fact, I actually uh, had to look it up on Facebook. I was like, wait, is that it?
2: Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking to, so since... uh. I, I've kind of dialed back a little bit of my hard corners because I have an elected position in a union. And, you know, like, not to be political or anything, but I got to be conscientious a little bit of what people see me say, you know? Oh, yeah.
1: Uh, and I'm trying to sell a book, I guess, too. But anyway, I'm trying not to get canceled, man. Um, <laughs> it's a delicate balance. Hey, they never, um, hey, they never canceled Bukowski, man.
2: That's Well, once you get good enough, it's hard to do that, you know. That's but the thing is, I got to get good enough first. But I'm thinking about bringing back Bucket Friday, man, because Fridays just seem like right now we need that kind of one day where we can just say Bucket. It. It's almost the weekend. It's Friday. It's payday. Um, we're just gonna do what we got to do. We get through it and do what we want to do tonight, you know. Mm-hmm. So Bucket Fridays may return soon. All
1: right. But go to
2: go to. The, no Duck
1: Studios.com. You can find out information at www.PunkCostedCrust.com to find out about the book. Thanks, Garrett. I appreciate you having me on, man. All right, and everyone, uh, you can find me as usual on my website, com at GarrettShelke on Twitter, GarrettShelke Garrett Authors page on Facebook. For the podcast, there's uh, the Facebook page, uh, at @shalkypodcast Podcast on Twitter, and uh, you know the usual places, you know, Anchor, Spotify, YouTube, Internet Archive, but we have some uh, new places you can find the the show now. You can find them on Audio Mac, Stitcher, uh, Listen Notes, and iTunes. Air horns. And I, th- and I guess. I guess I'll learn in like a month or so whether it'll get on Pandora or not. Alright, folks. uh, That's it. That's the show. Uh, Dan, thanks for coming on. Uh, Hey, have a good night, brother. Thanks for having us. Yep, and uh, thank you everyone for listening. And uh, once again, uh, this show is dedicated to Lawrence Ferlinghetti, who passed away recently. 101 years old.
2: Long live Without Morris for Getty, really we wouldn't
1: have the beach, man. Oh, uh, we wouldn't have a lot of things. Amen. Yep. Yep. So, so, so have a good night, folks. Here is the outro song.